0: welcome to the bc podcast featuring a weekly message from believers church in warren ohio for more information visit www.believers.cc i uh, i want to i want to speak to all the people of this church first of all i was here i think seven years ago Okay, I think that's what it was. It was 2009, 2008, somewhere around there. But can I tell you, I had such a great time and I have been wanting to come so back. First of all, I just love your pastors, okay? I look at your pastor, he's like the godfather, okay? I mean, come on, baby. He's as Italian as they come, so he makes me feel so at home because, you know, my dad's 100% Italian. My mom was 50% Italian, so I get around him. I'm just like, he's my, you know, my big Italian buddy, okay, and then I look at Gina, and Gina's this beautiful, beautiful Italian woman, and I look at their children and how they led worship so beautifully. I love this church, okay, and I just remember being here last time, the people I met, and I just can't believe it took so long to come back, but you know what, how many of you know you got a great, great pastors. How many of you know that, right? I'm speaking to this house right now. And and so it's a pleasure and an honor to be back here. Thank you so much for hosting and thank you for loving your city so much and loving the pastors of this city. Look at Pastor John here, right? And Pastor John, the name of your church is... Grace Family Church. He was at dinner tonight. I was watching these pastors interact. The way they loved each other, the way they spoke to each other, I was like, "All right, God is doing something good here in Warren and Youngstown area because the leaders love each other. They just don't tolerate each other. They actually love each other. So that is amazing. And so I've met several friends. People have traveled as far as a couple hours away, two and a half hours. There's some people here from Pennsylvania and There we go. How many people from Pennsylvania? Let me see your hands. That's great. Now, I'm going to share with you what I'm comfortable with. All right, I was raised Catholic Italian, Roman Catholic Italian. Then when I got saved in my college fraternity, I started learning some things about the kingdom. And do you know that I love an atmosphere where people kind of pull it out of you? You understand what I'm saying? See, you can go to church two different ways. You can go and spectate, or you can come and yank it out. You understand what I'm talking about? Now, as a minister, I can minister both ways. One, I leave a little bit tired because I feel like I plowed all night. The other way, I feel like it got sucked out of me, and I just leave refreshed. So I'd like to leave refreshed tonight. So let's forget that we're part of the Northeast for just right now. And let's just kind of pretend we're all from heaven, okay? And we just like love being in church, right? And Because we're going to meet with God tonight. We've already met with Him in worship. And that was amazing worship. Can we thank God for the worship? That was amazing. I mean, really. And, um, but you know what? I just believe there's even a greater... Uh, a a meeting with him coming up here in various, I shouldn't say greater, another dimension of meeting with him coming up. And so, because I never, ever, ever want to belittle worship because worship is so important to coming into the presence of God. But I just really believe God is going to do something really significant here tonight. I mean, um, we're in the midst of, I think it's an eight-city, eight-day tour. We started in Detroit, Michigan. Well, actually, we started in Nashville, but we were in Detroit two nights ago. Uh, just saw so many people get saved. Columbus, Ohio, last night, 122 people got saved. And then we're going to be, yeah, I know, so exciting. Baltimore, Maryland, tomorrow night, and then we're in uh, Philadelphia area, and then we're in West Haven, Connecticut, and then we're in Pittsburgh. That's all between now and Monday, all right? And so just please keep praying for me and the team, because you know what? We need supernatural strength, Amen. But, you know, I'm here tonight because I really believe God has given a, us a prophetic word, our team. And I believe it's a very timely word. And I'm, I, I just don't want to see you come in for just a service tonight. I want to see your life impacted forever. How many of you want to believe for that? So I want you to get your believers start ready, you know, because we're going to pray for that in a minute. All right. But I know some of you don't know me. Um, and I figure the best way I can introduce myself is introduce you to the people that I love so much, and that is my family. So can I show you a recent snapshot of my family? Here is, uh, actually, it's not so recent. It was a little while ago. It's hard to get us all together sometimes. But that is my beautiful, amazing, smoking hot, gorgeous wife, best friend, mistress, girlfriend, uh, for 33 years now as of last Friday. And uh, I'm so proud of Lisa. You know, as you can see, she's very Sicilian. Um, Some of you are like, what are you on this Italian kick, Sicilian kick? Well, I don't know. I'm just having fun. I'm around a bunch of Italians, I think, here tonight. Any Italians in the house? Okay, there you go. So anyway, um, Lisa and I, we married. I had the privilege of leading her to the Lord. Now she travels all over the world and ministers to women. She's down in Birmingham, Alabama, doing two, actually, women's conferences. They have so many women signed up. They had to do back-to-back ones at Uh, Chris Hodges' church down there in Birmingham, and so we get to see each other finally on Tuesday. I really miss her, and uh, our oldest son is on the left. That is Addison, and that's his wife, Juliana. Addison is the COO of Messenger International. He is a brilliant man. He's like 29, going on 50 in wisdom. Then to my wife's right is Austin. He is the head of our marketing department. He's 26 years old, and then you look in. He's available, by the way, and uh, and then next to him is Alec. Alec is actually with me here tonight. He's in the front row. Alec is not available, girls. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, But Alec is amazing. He is uh, in our video department, and he actually won Tough mutter in the entire state of Colorado two years ago. So that means he's won Tough mutter, right? And so then Arden is our youngest and our tallest. He is in Hillsong Bible School. Uh, I spoke at all their uh, weekend services in March. Arden was my traveling assistant. And he just looked at me and said, Dad, I think I really need to come here. And I said, okay, I lost my favorite golf partner, but you know what? I'm so happy that he's down there. And then the little ones, those are our G-babies. You say, what in the world is a G-baby? I am way too young to be grandpa. So it is G-daddy and G for short, okay? So let me highlight my Gs, all right? This is Asher, and he is as cute as he looks. He, he turned six two weeks ago. This is Sophia Grace. She is the first girl born in the entire Bavir or Toscano clan since 1967 so you better believe that is one celebrated little girl all right And then we have another girl that came along. My mom was like ready to faint when she found out about this. And this is Lizzie Hope. She came last year. And Lizzie is adorable. Her her legs are like squishy foam rubber. You know, you squeeze them and they come back. She likes food. She really does. So anyway, um, which is good. That's healthy. And so anyway, that is my family. And you know what? I thought I would give you a little bit more of an introduction to my G-babies. Uh, And it kind of helps. They kind of set up what I'm ministering on tonight. So why don't you watch this while you're standing and then we'll pray. All right, watch this. So, your name is? Sophia. And your name is? Asher. Hmm. So, Sophie, Asher. When was the last time that you guys did something that was good? Flew over waves. You flew over waves? That is pretty good. What else have you done that, that was good? Sophie. <laughs> poop butterfly? You, you what? <laughs> poop butterfly. You poop butterflies? <laughs> that is actually pretty good. <laughs> what is good besides pooping butterflies? <laughs> <laughs> it's <a bit> <laughs> <than God. laughs> Okay. Now you've met my (laughs) G-babies. Now you know what? We have so much fun in the Bevere household. Anyway, it's great to be with you again tonight, and I just again want to ask you, do you want a message from me tonight, or do you want your life changed forever? And I want you to be really honest. Which one? That's a really, really good response, but the Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. So can we ask God to do that for us tonight? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you as a people and we stand in your presence because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We come in his name. And we're, first of all, so grateful. You could have made us slaves and that would have been amazing, but you called us sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we're asking tonight that literally you would invade this sanctuary, Holy Spirit, that you would do something beyond what we can even imagine, think, ask, or hope for. I am asking in the name of Jesus that you would reveal our Savior, Master, and Lord Jesus Christ in a way like we have never known Him before. And as you do, may we go from glory to glory, to glory, as by the Spirit of the living God. For I decree it will be done in here tonight, on this earth as it is in heaven. So Holy Spirit, you are Lord in this place. You can do whatever you desire. I'm asking that you would amaze us tonight. I'm asking that you would go beyond what we could ever hope for tonight. Let it be a night that we'll never, ever forget. We ask this, that Lord, as a result of this, our lives will never be the same Our families, our churches, Akron and, excuse me, Youngstown and Warren will never, ever be the same, and Akron too. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody that agrees, shouts. Come on, give him praise for what he's going to do. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Alec, can I have that book? Just the book. Uh, Thanks. All right. Tonight, uh, as you know, I'm sharing with you out of the newest book that I've written, Good or God. I've never done this before, but I've literally am traveling around the country, as you just heard, bringing this message because I believe it is a very important and a very prophetic uh, word for today. So I want to I want to just start out by opening it up. Why are you writing a book called Good or God? Why do you call it this? Today in our society, and this is even crept in, this mentality has even crept into the church. We assume that if something is good, it must automatically be of God. In other words, we've almost made good and God synonymous. Because after all, aren't we born with the inherent knowledge of what is right and what is wrong? But can I say this? If good is so obvious, why does Hebrews chapter 5? tell us that we have to have discernment to recognize the difference between good and evil. Why does King Solomon cry out in the dawn of his reign, God, give your servant an understanding heart that I might discern between good and evil? Now, I want you to think about the context of this. He's starting his reign. God appears to him. That in itself is amazing. And then God says, ask me whatever you want. And he could ask for anything, but he asked for an understanding heart to discern between good and evil. If good is so obvious, why is that his number one prayer when God appears to him? You would think it is a good idea to preserve the life of your friend. Yet Peter says this to Jesus. And Jesus corrects him and says to Peter, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. There was a woman, and, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to say this before I bring up this woman. Let me just say it like this. What would you think if somebody went out and bought a friend a $30,000 outfit? I mean, boy, the media would have a heyday with that one. But yet this woman breaks open a $30,000 outfit bottle of perfume and pours it over Jesus. Judas incites her and rallies the other disciples. They join in with him and said this was a ridiculous thing. This was a bad thing because this money, this perfume could have been sold and the money could have been been used to feed a lot of poor people. But yet Jesus corrects them and says this, leave her alone. Why criticize her For doing such a good thing. So Jesus says that what she did was good. They incited her and he even said what she's done will be remembered. If you look at the rich young ruler, he comes running up to Jesus. And he cries out, good teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, why do you call me good? Before he even answers this all important question of how to get saved. He says, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. Now, is Jesus not good? He is perfect good. But you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying to this man, you've got a reference point for good. God has a reference point for good. And the two are not one and the same. Don't put me in your reference point. You see, good is about reference point. You can have two different families moving into identical homes. They're both three-bedroom, two-bath homes. For one family, it's a good move. For one family, it's a bad move. The family, it's a good move. They just moved out of a trailer into that home. The family, it's a bad move. They just moved out of a $2 million estate into that home. It's all about reference point. I remember when God really got my attention on this. I had traveled to Sweden. I was getting ready to speak to 6,000 leaders, mostly from Eastern Europe and the Middle East. I landed Friday morning. My service was Friday night. I had most of the day to pray. And I remember in my room in my hotel room there in Stockholm, near Stockholm, I was praying, and I had judged a certain situation to be good. And I remember in my room, the Holy Spirit corrected me and said, no, this is not good, and gave me Scripture for what He was saying to me. Now, I found myself getting in kind of an argument with the Holy Spirit. And I finally just kind of put my foot down And I said, but God, all the good that's come out of this situation. And this is when the Lord spoke to me what really revolutionized my life. He said, son, it was not the evil side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Eve was attracted to. He said it was the good side. And when he said that, I remember my Bible was sitting on that bed in that hotel room in Sweden. I flew over to Genesis And when I read the words, these words I'm showing you, when the woman saw the tree was good, and that word good jumped up off the page. When the woman saw the tree was good, that it was pleasant, that it was desirable to make her wise, she took of it. And I'm sitting there in shock. And the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, son, there is a good that will lead you away from me. And I'm sitting in this hotel room, And all of a sudden, I realize how Jesus' words are going to be fulfilled. Because to be honest with you, they used to kind of bother me. You know, when people ask Jesus, what is it going to be like just before your return? Do you know what his main topic of conversation is? Go read it. It's deception. I mean, the first words out of his mouth are, be careful that you are not deceived. And he says that the deception... It's going to be so rampant that if possible, even the elect are going to be deceived. Then I think about Paul talking about some departing from the faith in the days right before Jesus comes back, and the reason they're going to depart is because of deception. I think about Peter talking about deception in the days right before Jesus comes back. I think about Jude talking about deception. Then I thought, why are we talking about this? You know, there's only one problem with deception, and that's this. It's deceiving. The person who is deceived believes with all of his heart he's right, when in reality he's wrong. That's scary. And so I'm sitting in that hotel room, and I realize, okay, I get it now. How, if possible, the elect are going to be deceived. See, Christians are not going to be deceived by blatant evil. They're not going to be deceived by satanic rock concerts, by drug-infested parties, by orgies. Christians, if possible will be deceived by evil that is masked with good. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, there is a way. Now, I want you to look at these words up on the board. There is a way. I want you to notice this. There is a way, a method, a choice. There is a way that seems right. It seems beneficial. It seems acceptable. It seems profitable. It seems wise. It seems good to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, I ignored this scripture for years, actually right up till last year, because you know what I used to think? That's talking to non-Christians. I'm in the way of life. That's not talking about me. But then I made the mistake last year of reading what God says to his people. He says, "Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death." And all of a sudden I realize, "Oh my my. The way of death, the way of life that speaks of the wisdom that we live by." Now, if you look at Proverbs 14:12 again, it makes sense. There is a way, there is a wisdom that seems right. It seems acceptable. It seems beneficial. It seems wise. It seems good to a man. But where it takes you is where you don't want to find yourself. So last year I read again Paul's words to the Corinthian church. This is a church he loves. This is a church he has birthed. He cares deeply for this church. And look what he says. I fear that somehow... Your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Now, remember, to corrupt something means it was once right on. You got it? Are you with me? Will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. And I remember last year, this became really real to me. I thought, wow, this is the exact example the Holy Spirit used with me in that hotel room in Sweden. The exact same example that Paul is talking about. Now, let, let, let's look at this. Paul is saying to this church, I'm concerned you're going to be deceived just as Eve was. Just as the serpent deceived Eve, I'm concerned that you're going to be corrupted in the same way. Now, can we talk about Eve? She'd never been gossiped about. <laughs> She'd never been lied to. Nobody ever took anything from her. A man never abused her. She'd never been spoken too harshly by a father. Do you realize she'd never been sinned against? Do you realize she lived in a perfect environment? The presence of God permeated the atmosphere on top of that. Yet he deceived her. Now, if he can deceive her in a perfect environment, how much easier is it for him to deceive us in an imperfect environment? A corrupt environment. Let let me go a little bit more stronger on what I just said. So last year, I'm like, okay, we got to deal with this. We we have to address this. How does he get her deceived to turn on God in a perfect environment where God's presence permeates? I had to have some answers. I don't know about you, if you've ever... Because can I tell you something? You know what we do? We think Eve was ditzy. (laughs) Gullible. Okay. That is so far from the truth. How many human beings do you know that can name 1.25 million species of animals and then remember what he named every one of them without going to Google? I mean, these guys had everything firing. I mean, they're sharp. So that made it even a little bit more complex for me. She's not gullible. So I started praying. I said, God, I gotta understand, I said that. I said, I gotta know, how does he do this? So, I, and God showed me, there's a four-step strategy of the enemy, okay? Remember the Bible says, don't be ignorant of his devices. All right, so let me, let me, let me run through this quickly, okay? God creates the heavens and the earth, right? Okay, he doesn't create a garden, he plants a garden, Okay, I've been in some of the most beautiful gardens in the world that men and women have created, right? Like in Germany, Vancouver, England, Japan. People can make some pretty amazing gardens. Can you imagine this one that God made and planted? Wow. So he, he then creates the man, places the man in there, and God looks at the man and God says this. He says, you can freely eat from every tree in the garden. Now look at that. That is his generosity now most people don't get that you want to know why they don't get that because they think there's just two trees in this garden no (laughs) you know what horticulturists tell us there are over 2500 different fruit bearing trees on the planet i have to believe and gina agrees with me i bet i have to believe that there's at least one of each of those trees in that garden so can I say it like this? You know what God said to him? You can freely eat from 2,499 trees. Now that makes it a little different, doesn't it? See, have you ever stopped and thought about what God has given you? I mean, did you wake up this morning? Come on. Did you, did you, did, did you have covers over you? Did you have a nice soft mattress? Did you have a roof above your head? Did you drink clean water? Did you have food? Did LeBron return back to Cleveland? I mean, come on. I could stand here all night. When you think about all that God has given to us, are you with me? Right? But then God says, I don't want to have people that have no choice in being in relationship with me. I want people that can choose to be in real." You want to know why I like this man? You want to know why I like this woman? Because they really like me. I don't pay them to like me. They don't say, oh, I have to like him. They have been calling our offices like every year for the last seven years. Would John please come back? I'm like, oh, so nice to be loved. Nobody paid him to do that. Nobody paid her to do that. I mean, their kids were so nice. Their worship team was so nice. They were like, oh, my gosh, we're so glad you're here. Hey, I like that. They don't have to like me, and they do. Well, how do you think God feels? Do you think he wants a couple of robots in this garden? you think what human beings that are robots have no choice? He wants people that can choose to be in relationship with him. Remember, you are creating his image. Okay? And so God says you can freely eat from every tree, 2,499 trees, except the one that's in the midst of the garden that gives the knowledge of what is good and what is evil. Don't eat it. You die if you eat it. Okay? Simple. Now, God then brings all the animals to Adam. He names them all, but there's not a suitable helper found for him. So God puts him into a deep sleep, takes a rib out, creates woman, brings this female to him, and he goes, Whoa, man. And that's how she got her name, woman. And if you believe that, you believe the Pope is Jewish as well. Okay, so... (laughs) So this next scene, we don't know if it occurs. We don't, we don't. know if it occurs a year later, three years later, ten years later, a hundred years later, three hundred years later. But the serpent targets Eve. Now, first of all, I want to tell you something. I personally believe with all my heart, and do not build a doctrine off of this. Don't write it down. You can don't Google it. Don't. I believe animals talked in the garden. That's why she's not shocked when a talking snake starts talking to her. Why do I believe that? If you look a few generations later, there's a guy named Balaam and his donkey talks to him. You know, he didn't faint when the donkey talked. He actually just talked back to the donkey. (laughs) Do you want to know why? Because I believe oral tradition, they passed down that the animals were able to talk in the garden. Okay. So this snake who is completely filled with Satan approaches the woman. Now there is a reason he approaches the woman and I'm going to show you why. Okay. But the very first step of his strategy, everybody say the first phase, phase. is to get her eyes off of all the 2,499 she can eat from under the one she can't. Because look what he says, so you can't eat from every tree, can you? See, that statement right there, you know, he's just got her eyes off of everything God's given her under the one tree that's restrained. You know, that's what he wants to do with you. He wants to get your eyes off of all the things that God has given you, everything. Unto the one thing that's being restrained. That's that's where he wants your focus. Now, she being the brilliant woman that she is, responds quickly. Oh, we can eat from the trees of the garden. But God has said the one that's in the midst of the garden that gives the knowledge of what is good and evil. You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Notice I highlight those words. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, can I make a statement? God never said a thing about touching it. Oh, come on, John, you're splitting hairs now. I'm not splitting hairs, we got a clue. Everybody say, clue. Clue. We got a clue that she's operating more off of communicated knowledge, not revelation knowledge. Now you say, whoa, 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 what? Communicated knowledge, revelation knowledge. There are two types of knowledges. One is communicated or learned knowledge. The other one is revelation or revealed knowledge. What's the difference? You see it clearly illustrated in the Gospels. In Matthew 16, Jesus has been with these guys maybe a year or two, and he looks at him one day. He's alone with the 12, and he said, Hey, guys, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, how many of you know that Jesus chose men that were trigger-happy? In other words, they weren't soft-spoken, quiet. These guys were ready-fire-aim type of guys. They were quick to give their opinions. They were constantly getting themselves in trouble. You understand? Because their mouths were quick to speak. So immediately they start rapid-firing who men are saying that they are. And I mean, you know, kind of like Philip goes, hey, I read it on Instagram. I saw it. I saw a picture this morning. You are Elijah. And then all of a sudden Thomas goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. I read a blog on it on Facebook. You are. Elijah. Then they say some other prophet, and some other prophet, and some other prophet, and some other prophet. So what is Jesus doing? He's extracting out of them everything they have learned from other people on social media. Okay? And CNN. And so eventually they quiet down. And once they quiet down and he realizes he has extracted everything out that they've heard from everybody else, he goes, who do you say that I am? Now if he wouldn't have asked the first question, who do men say that I am, if he would have just said, who do you say that I am, they would have immediately said what they saw on social media, as if they were an authority on it. Hello? Don't you see similar behavior today? Oh, I read this online. Okay? So he extracts everything they've learned from everybody else because he wants to find out what, the, what God has revealed to them. Then he looks at him and says, Who do you say that I am? And they're all standing there speechless. Uh, uh, and Peter speaks up and goes, You're the Christ, you're the Son of God, you're the Messiah. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Peter, you are so blessed because flesh and blood didn't communicate this to you. You didn't learn this from social media. He said, but my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And he said, Peter, it's this revealed knowledge that I'm going to build my church and deception is not going to prevail against it. So what is revealed knowledge? It is when God drops something on the inside of you. You know it like you know better than your own name. I mean, it is just there. It can happen while pastor's preaching. It can happen when you're in traffic. It can happen while you're reading the Bible. It can happen when you're reading an anointed book. It can happen while you're listening to a CD. It happens when people lean in. Does that make sense? You know how some people are kind of like this, other people are leaning in. That's how it seems to happen with Peter. You know, Peter could have been, um, you know, traveling with Jesus between towns and Jesus comes upon a leopard and Jesus heals this leper. And Peter, while he watches this, goes, I remember when my rabbi read from Isaiah, when Messiah comes, he's going to bear our infirmities and carry our sicknesses. Oh, my, my! He's the Messiah. See, that got dropped in him. You see, what? I, this is why I tell people, you know, when I'm preaching, don't write everything you hear. Write what explodes. That's revealed knowledge. Are you, are you with me? Because that's an anchor for you. Deception can't prevail. I mean, if you look a little while later, Jesus' preaching gets even stronger. And one day he looks at his team, and he goes, Hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you got nothing to do with me. Now, that's a really strong statement for a Jewish man to say, right? And do you know what the Bible says? Not the multitudes, team members walked away. And it said many. And do you know that word many means majority? So if he's got 30 team members, 18 just walked away. And he's left with the 12. And he looks at the 12 he says, you going too? And you know none of them can say a thing except the guy with the revelation knowledge. Peter goes, where else can we go? We've come to learn you're the Messiah. You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Do you know what he's saying? We don't like what you're saying either. But we're kind of stuck because we know you're the Messiah. That kept him from the deception the other guys left. See, with Adam and Eve, I'm sure they were walking through the garden one day. Remember, this is a big garden. And Adam goes, oh, hey, babe, there it is. That's the one. We don't touch it. Now, Adam knows what he's saying because God spoke that to him. But she wasn't there when he spoke it. So she takes it literally. And that's why she says, we can't eat it or touch it. She probably never went to God. She wasn't like the Berean Christians. The guys that just didn't believe everything they heard or write it down and take notes. But you know what they did? They searched the scriptures day after day to see if what Paul was saying was so. They were looking for that revealed knowledge. She doesn't do that. She probably never went to God and said, God, tell me about this. What is it about this tree? And the enemy knows it. The serpent knows it. That's why he targets her. So once he gets her eyes off of all the trees she can't eat from, onto the one tree, he then goes to phase two. Everybody say phase two. two. He negates the word of God. He looks at her and says, you won't die. And so they kind of look at each other and the guy goes, you know what, you're paying rent. I pay rent, you pay utilities, I pay utilities, you pay cable, I pay cable. Let's move in together. Then we'll have one rent, one utilities, one cables. We'll save money, we'll build for our future, we'll be able to give more to missions. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens? They negate. Ephesians chapter 4 that says, Don't let fornication even once be named among you. They negate the word of God that says in First Thessalonians 5, Avoid the very appearance of evil. They negate the word of God in Hebrews 13 that says, fornicators or the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. They negate that for what appears to be good. It seems good to a man. Now, he quickly now moves to phase three. Everybody say phase three. three. This is where he's going to put the dagger in her. This is the killer phase, okay? Because look at his next words, for God knows. What does that say? God's hiding something. He knows something you don't. For God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to know the difference between good and evil, and you're going to be just like God. Now, she's looking at the tree. And you know what? It's not evil looking. She judges it to be good. Pleasant. Desirable to make her wise. Her focus is on it. God's hiding something. All of a sudden she goes, wait a minute. There is something good in that tree for my husband and I. And God is withholding it. You know what he's just done? He's just perverted the character of God in her eyes. He's made God look like a taker instead of the giver that he is. Now, the moment he perverts the character of God in her eyes, she'll turn on him. Because even David said, Righteousness and justice is the foundation of your throne. David's a king. He knows for a king to have an enduring reign, king's got to be a man of integrity. The enemy goes right at the heart of the throne of God. He attacks his integrity. And when he makes God look like a taker instead of the giver, now she's going to turn on him. And step four is a piece of cake. He offers her the good that was withheld. (coughs) This is why James comes along in the New Testament. And James says, do not be deceived. This is not a command. I believe it's a promise. Now I want you to listen to me. I do not believe his words here are a command. I believe that. Well, they may. Yeah, you can look at it if you want to look at it that way. I believe it's a promise. You know what James is saying? You can live a deception-free life. Maybe this side will get more excited. James is saying right here, you can live a deception-free life. Do 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 you know what he says? If you get this truth in you, you'll never be deceived. What's the truth? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, of whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Do you know what James is saying? You will never be deceived if you get this truth in you. Here's the truth. There is nothing good for you outside of God. I don't care how good it looks, how beneficial it seems, how acceptable it is. How wise it's going to make you. How sweet she is to you and mean your wife is to you. How good she looks and how she makes you feel on your game. And how much of a man she makes you feel like. If it's contrary to the written word of God. It will take you to a place you don't want to find yourself. That's exactly what he's saying. See the way people read that verse. They go, oh, anything I deem to be good, it's from heaven. It comes from the Father. That's not what it said. No. It said there's nothing good for you outside of God is what he's saying. Amen. Come on. See, so what is the reference point? Remember I said good is all about reference point? The reference point Paul gives us in the very last letter he writes when he's on the face of the earth. He says in the very last letter, he says all scripture. Everybody say all scripture. No, say it with some conviction. All scripture. All is inspired by God, and is useful to teach us what is true, good, and to make us realize what is wrong, bad, in our lives. It corrects us. Ah! Don't say that word. I don't like correction. Oh, then you're stupid. Now, wait a minute. I'm being scriptural, totally scriptural right now. Okay? I had an employee, and uh, he spoke very disrespectfully to his manager, So the manager and the COO, who was my oldest son, felt that they needed to bring it to me, and God gave me a scripture for him. It was Proverbs 13.1, New Living Translation. I will quote the scripture, he who hates correction is stupid. So I showed him why he was stupid. (laughs) Because he didn't like the correction. Okay, are you with me? Correction is not a negative thing. Okay, can I, all right, all right, all right. Let's say I'm in Dallas, Texas, and I want to go to Oklahoma City. If I do, does anybody know what you do? You get on I-35. And you go north, right? But let's say inadvertently I get on I-20, it goes to Shreveport, which is east. Do you realize I'm going to drive four hours out of my way? But there is this girl in my life. It's the only other girl Lisa will let me have. Her name is Siri. (laughs) And Siri says, hey, you're on the wrong road. And what happened? Siri just saved me eight hours of driving. She corrected me, but saved me eight hours. Correction it gets you off the wrong road onto the right road, or if you're on the right road, it keeps you from getting on the wrong road. That's positive. So it corrects us when we're wrong, bad, and it teaches us to do what is right, good. See, the Hebrew word for good is tov. And listen to what the Encyclopedia Biblical Word says about it. It says, only because God has shared His evaluation of good in His Word, are we who rely on Him, able to affirm with confidence that a certain thing, quality, or course of action is beneficial? So everybody say, Scripture. Scripture. Say, all all Scripture is inspired by God. Shows me what is good for my life, right? What is bad, right? Can we talk about the Scripture? I say, can we talk about the Scripture? All right. 66 books written over 1,500 years by forty different writers, from three different continents, in three different languages. Would you stop and think about that? I mean, you got writers. Some of them are kings. Some are prisoners. Some are farmers. Some are shepherds. You got a tent maker. You got a tax collector. You got a physician. Do You know, a tax collector is a mafia guy, right? And, and I mean, I mean, you got, you got all these different people. Now listen, over fifteen hundred years. Can you go back fifteen hundred years from right now? You're at 515 A.D. Do you realize Britain hasn't even, Like, the British Empire hasn't even been thought of yet? That's a long time. Okay? And do you know many of these writers don't even know what the other guys wrote because they wrote in totally different generations over that 1,500 years? So you know what that's like? That's like getting 40 writers over the last 1,500 years to write a novel many of them not knowing what the other guys write and then putting it together in 2015 when this all started in 515 AD and having this novel make any sense not only that can i go a little further the old testament was written over 1100 years now listen carefully 1100 years And the last book of the Old Testament was written 400 years before Jesus was born. Would you go back 400 years from right now? You don't even have a United States. Forget Ohio State. I know some of you think Woody Hayes is that old, but he wasn't. Forget it. I mean, the pilgrims just set sail 400 years ago. So the last book of the Old Testament is written 400 years before Jesus is even born. And that Old Testament, thirty-nine books, written over eleven hundred-year span, from fifteen hundred B.C. to four hundred B.C. Right? Written by several different writers from different generations, and you know what they did? They made predictions about this Messiah, predictions like he'd be born in Bethlehem, he'd be called out of Egypt, he'd come into Jerusalem on a donkey, he'd be betrayed by a friend, he'd be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver, and on and on and on. He'd be crucified, right? Do you know there's over 300 of those predictions made and the last prediction was made 400 years before Jesus was even born? Do you know that Jesus fulfilled all 300 of those predictions? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, so you know, there was a scientist. His name is Dr. Peter Stoner. And this guy was an expert in probability. Now, do you know what probability is? If I take this bucket and I put... Nine white ping pong balls in there, and I put one yellow ping pong ball in there, and I shake it all up, blindfold somebody, have them pick out one ping pong ball. The chance of them picking out that one yellow ping pong ball is one in ten. Well, he's an expert in this. So not only does Dr. Stoner do this work, he employs 600 science students from 12 different classes, and they'd go on this massive project. And you know, later on, after they were done, the National American Scientific Council did a review on their work and said, not only was their work accurate, but it was conservative. So what I'm about to share with you tonight is conservative. All right. Do you have it? Right. So think the whole time, conservative, okay? So Dr. Stoner picks out eight prophecies. And he says, what are the chances that any human being could fulfill these eight prophecies? From the time Jesus was born all the way to the end of the 20th century. So over a 2,000 year, any person from anywhere in the world could have fulfilled these prophecies. Here's the eight prophecies. Number one, Christ to be born in Bethlehem. Micah wrote that. Christ to be preceded by a messenger. Isaiah and Malachi wrote that in different generations. Christ to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah wrote that in a different generation. Christ to be betrayed by a friend. The psalmist wrote that in a different generation. And then the other eight I'll put up there. You can read them as well. Now, He and his 600 science students go on this massive project and said, all right, what's the chances that any human being could fulfill this? Anywhere in the world, anywhere. You know what the chances are? uh, Over that 2,000 years, 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Okay, so 10 to the 17th power is a 1 with 17 zeros behind it. I think Alec knows the number, but I don't. (laughs) Do you know how big that number is? Let me illustrate it. If I have that many silver dollars, I have no place on earth I can store them. I have to just spread them out all over the ground. And if I spread them out all over the ground, you know, what the, you know what they'll do? They'll cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Do you know it takes two days to drive through Texas from Texas, Texarkana to El Paso? Cover the entire state two feet deep. Now, gather them all up. Mark one of the silver dollars. Shuffle them redistribute him all over the state of Texas, blindfold a guy in Oklahoma, put him in a helicopter, start flying over Texas. At any point, he can say, let down. The chances of him being let down and still being blindfolded and picking out the one mark silver dollar is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's the chances that any human being could have fulfilled those eight prophecies over 2,000 years. Yet Jesus fulfilled all eight. So Dr. Stoney said, well, wait a minute, let's go to 16 prophecies. 16 of the 300, right? What are the chances that any human being over that 2,000-year time period could fulfill the 16 prophecies? You know what it is? It's 1 in 10 to the 45th power. That's a one with 45 zeros behind it. I'm not writing that down. <laughs> now, let me illustrate that. If I have that many silver dollars, I can't store them on the earth. I've got to make a big ball of them. And you know how big this sphere of silver dollars would be? Massive. Nothing but silver dollars. You know how big it would be? It would be. The diameter of that sphere would be 60 times the distance of the earth to the sun. If you want mileage, 5.5 billion miles. Now, take all those babies. Mark one of them. Shuffle them all up. Remake the sphere. Blindfold the guy put him in an airplane. It'll take a jet 400 years to go nonstop around that sphere, by the way. At any point, he can say, let down. Now, remember, it may not be in the surface. It may be towards the middle, so he may have to dig, blindfolded, 2.75 billion miles to the center to pick his silver dollar. The chances of him picking the marked silver dollar is 1 in 10 to the 45th power. That's the chances that any human being could have fulfilled 16 of those prophecies. Yet Jesus fulfilled all 16. So Dr. Stoner and his 600 science students said, what about 48 prophecies? So they did hours of research, and you know what it would take for somebody to fulfill 48 of the prophecies? One in t- any person over 2,000 years, one in 10 to the 157th power. That's a one with 157 zeros behind it. Now, for me to illustrate that, I can't use a silver dollar i got to go to a smaller item. i got to go down to an electron. Now, do you know how small an electron is? If I have a one-inch line of electrons, and it's a straight line, okay, one inch, and I start counting tonight, 250 per minute, and I don't go to sleep, it would take me 19 million years to count that one-inch line of electrons. Now, if I have that many electrons, I'd have to make a sphere of electrons. You know how big that sphere would be? It would be as far as man has ever seen into the universe. The diameter would be 26 trillion light years. Excuse me, I said it wrong. 26 billion light years. I don't want to get that number wrong. Now, we're not talking miles. We're talking light years now. How far light travels in an entire year. Okay? Now, blindfold a (laughs) guy. Put him in a rocket ship send him into outer space. At any point, he can say stop. The chance of him getting out of that rocket ship and picking that one marked electron is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's the chances that any human being from the time of Jesus to the end of the 20th century could have fulfilled 48 of those prophecies. Yet Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Not only did let's review just a minute here, okay? This is a review. We got several writers that write these thirty-nine books that live over eleven hundred years, with the last one living four hundred years before Jesus is born. Many of them don't even know what the other guy wrote. There's three hundred predictions, and Jesus fulfills every single one of them. And you tell me the Bible doesn't apply to today? (laughs) You're stupid. You know, I'm going to segue. I, I, I've done this last, I'm going to do this again. I'm on a plane earlier this year. I'm flying from Denver to Honolulu to do a conference, you know, and I'm so excited because I get to edit my book. I, I, this book had to be edited, and I was running into a cr- time crunch. And I'm so excited. I can get on this plane, just edit. And I get in my seat, and it just so happens I get a talker who's sitting next to me. <laughs> and she's actually a very attractive blonde, about 35 years old, and she obviously has a lot of money because. She has four homes, one in Tahiti, one in Hawaii, one in New York, and one in Paris, and she just won't stop talking. I'm going, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, 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 and just giving all the signs of, hey, I don't want to talk, and she won't stop talking to me, so finally, I just close my computer, and I go, okay, God, give me an opening, so 30 minutes later, I mean, we're talking away, having great conversation, and I get my opening, and I start telling her about Jesus, And when I started telling her about Jesus, she goes, now, wait a minute before you go any further. I just want you to know I am a devout atheist. And before I could even think this came blurting out of my mouth, I said, oh, come on, you are way smarter than that. (laughs) And she looked at me. I mean, I mean, I, I can close my eyes and still see the shock on her face. She goes, that was my next statement to you. I said, what? Let me tell you how stupid you are. And I showed her. And, you know, whether she accepts it or not, you know, she understands now. She's stupid. So as long as you're a devout atheist, you're stupid. I mean, the Bible calls you a fool, but I'm going to go just stupid, okay? See, I was in prayer. I've had three national leaders. I mean, these, these, these men... If I named their names, many of you would know them. They have looked at me and said, This is one of the most important messages you've, you've written. They said this, me- this book will explode. And it has. I mean, 70,000 copies have sold in the first five weeks. It was number one on Amazon for three weeks in all Christian categories. I mean, I've never seen a book do this before. And I've only preached to you the first couple chapters. Um, I haven't even gotten into the message yet. Seriously, I'm not kidding. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Who's read it? Have I even gotten into it yet? No. Right? Okay. So um, I said, I prayed, and I said, God, why is this message so important? Why are you putting in my heart to do a book tour all over the United States? Why, why, is this, why this one? And the Lord said to me, it's a calibration message. And I thought, okay, calibration. Okay, you calibrate machines so they make accurate readings, correct? So, I just started doing some research on calibration, and I found out the word is most frequently used for gas detectors in chemical factories. You want to know why? Gas detectors are so important in chemical factories. If you get a little (laughs) toxicity in the air, it can damage you for life or kill you. And my dad worked for DuPont for 40 years. I know about this, okay? Okay, so it is federal law that every room in a chemical factory has to have a gas detector. And you know who makes most of these gas detectors? Honeywell. So I go to Honeywell's website and it said, tell me how to, de- to calibrate your gas detector. And it brings me right to the page. And you know what it tells me in the page? That it is required. Do you hear my word required? For them to calibrate the gas detector every day. You want to know why? Because the atmosphere in the chemical factory will corrupt the sensors so you know how they calibrate them they bring the gas detector into a clean air room they clean the sensor re-zero the machine calibrate it put it back out in the factory so they know it will read accurately if there's toxic toxicity in the air well your heart is your sensor we live in a corrupt environment every day we should go into a clean air environment it's called the word of god it's called the presence of god and the word of God washes us, it cleans our sensor, so that we go out into the world, we're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, which we did in the clean air room, that we might prove, see, it's not a formula, what is good and perfect and acceptable will of God. See, what I'm about to tell you, I don't want to pigeon this me- pigeonhole this message to this. Be- because let me tell you, what I'm about to say, this book was written, It was printed and in the warehouse. So there was never any writing about this in this book, okay? But June 26th was an indication to me that we need serious recalibration. Because June 26th is when our government voted on same-sex marriage. Now that didn't surprise me, okay? Why didn't that surprise me? Because the Bible says That our society is alienated from the life of God. Their understanding is darkened. And they are a a, a perverse generation. And they are under the control of the evil one. So that didn't surprise me. And and you know what? Isaiah went one step further. He said in the last days they're going to call evil good and good evil. So guess what? Didn't surprise me. This is what surprised me. This is what shocked me. On June 26th and June 27th, I put two posts on my Facebook. I had over 4 million views. I had, I think it was over a million comments. Okay? This is what shocked me. All the Christians that were applauding our government's decision. One Christian author, very well-known female author, said, love one today when our government voted on this. I'm like... Oh my goodness! Are you so uncalibrated? Mm, come on, you are having an inaccurate reading right now, woman. Let me tell you, love won. Love won two thousand years ago when our Creator took on a body, shed every drop of blood in His body, so that we wouldn't have to be enslaved with what we've just improved. So we're applauding slavery. We're saying love wins over slavery. Instead of telling people we've got the good news, you don't have to be a slave anymore. Amen. Sure, is quiet in this Methodist oh, church. <laughs> yeah, help us. Help us. Yeah. You still here? Yeah. See, this is why the writer of Hebrews says, "I want you to look at this." The writer of Hebrews says, "No, I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm uh, Hebrews two, verse one." That's the next one I'd like to look at. Hebrews 2, verse 1 says this. It's way back in the beginning. You guys are so good, but I, didn't, I know I didn't do it. We must listen, now look at these words, very carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift from it. How many of you know drifting doesn't happen consciously? Okay, I'm a boy. I'm fishing. I love fishing. I love fishing, okay? Right? So I'd be so excited, I wouldn't anchor and I'm fishing away and 30 minutes later I look up and I don't even recognize the shoreline what happened I drifted drifting doesn't happen consciously it happens unconsciously but you know what we're spending more time on social media than we are in the scripture so we wonder why we're drifting why we need recalibration there's your reason now I just opened the subject And I'm almost out of time. But I've left a few minutes left to cover one kind of important area that we are are substituting good for God in. Okay, and you just saw the scripture. So I want to talk about this. I don't want anybody getting nervous when I talk about it, okay? But the Bible says, pursue. Now that word pursue means chase after with the intent to apprehend. Holiness. Now, say the word holiness and people freak out. Why? Because they were so abused. Okay? Okay, I want you to put yourself in the devil's shoes just for 30 seconds, not a minute longer. Do you know the devil can read? He can also read more languages than you do you know the devil has read the new testament okay what is the one description of the church that Jesus come back for not two descriptions what's the one description he's coming back for a holy church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing do you realize that is the the bible does not say he is coming back for a relevant church I love relevance, but he's not com- that's not the predominant description. The Bible does not say he's coming back for a community church. Do we need community? You better believe it. It's so important. It's 50% of what Acts said. Breaking of bread, fellowship, doctrine and prayers, 50%. But he's not coming back for a community church. He's not coming back for a leadership-driven church. Leadership is so important. Everything rises or falls off of leadership. John Maxwell nailed that one. He's not coming back for a team church. Yeah, teams are important because more people can do better more than one person. He's come back for a holy church. Predominant description. Okay, now wait a minute. What's the predominant description of God that stands above everything else? I mean, Isaiah sees the Lord. John sees the Lord. Isaiah 6, Revelations 5. There's these massive, massive beings. I mean, they're massive. And they're not crying, faithful, faithful, faithful. Is God faithful? You better believe it. But that's not... The quality of God that stands out above all other qualities. They're not crying, love, love, love. Is he love? He's pure love. He doesn't even have love. He is love. But they're not saying love, love, love. They're saying holy, holy, holy. And they're crying it so loud, they're shaking a building that seats over a billion people in heaven. Because every moment, another facet of his greatness is being revealed, and all they can do is cry holy. So here's the predominant description of God The predominant description of the church he's come back for, if you want to know the truth, the city he's coming back for has one description. It's called the whole. It's called holy. Read it in Revelations. Okay? So here we are. The devil's read this. And he goes, whoa, important word. So you know what he does? He raises up a bunch of mean-spirited, angry, grumpy preachers that beat people up. They don't even like people. You should never be preaching if you don't like people. Okay? I mean, I wish we would lock them in the closet permanently until the rapture if they make it so that they can beat each other up and not beat God's precious sheep up. But they would just come along and they made it all about their holiness club and their holiness club took on the form that they deemed was holy. And they beat people up. right. So you know what the, the Chinese proverb was fulfilled? The scalded cat that's been scalded by the boiling water fears the cool water. Uh-huh. That's a Chinese proverb. In other words, you pour boiling water on a cat, and it will fear all water. So here you have cool water that will give the cat life. It will run away. So we got scalded by the legalistic, mean-spirited preachers. So now you mention the word holiness, and everybody runs. Now, do you really think God, pure love, is going to make this the predominant description if he intends to scald you with it? No. Exactly. No way. So, what happens? We got a bunch of people who rebounded. And they came up with this doctrine. That holiness happens when you get saved, baby. Don't worry about it. Jesus covered you. All your sins, past, present, future, they're all forgiven. And we lumped it all, the holiness, into one, 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 one package. But I'm going to show you tonight there's two different aspects of holiness. See, that was our good teaching that alleviated people from the fear of the word so now let's look at the scripture again pursue holiness without which no man's going to see the lord now first of all is he talking to christians or non-christians come on i want it conviction okay so he is telling christians to chase after holiness with the intent to apprehend it because if you don't you won't see the lord now now wait a minute everybody's going to see god Do you know the Bible says every eye is going to behold him? Jesus said, the lightning shines in the east, go in the west, every eye is going to behold him. What is he talking about? Let me give you an example. I have been an American for 56 years now. In my 56 years, I have been under 10 presidents. Their rule has affected my life. I have been under their jurisdictions. Their decisions shape, shape the way I've lived. But I've never seen one of them. I've never been in the presence of a president of the United States. There are Christians. They're under the rulership of Jesus. His decisions affect their lives, they're under his jurisdiction. But they're not entering into his presence because they're not chasing after holiness. So these teachers got clever and they created a good atmosphere. Now, back in the early 80s, oh my gosh, church was pathetic. Oh, I mean, people dressed weird, their hairstyles were goofy, the platform was ugly, had a big wooden cross, you walk in, people act weird, the music's awful, but you know what we had? We had a presence. We had a presence of God that I'd go into these really weird atmospheres. But because the presence of God was there, I left changed. And I couldn't explain it. So what we did is we improved our atmospheres. We started doing lights and smoke, good sound people, good lighting. Created a foyer that would create community. Played relevant music. Started dressing cooler. Wore hairs normal. Do you know what? I love every bit of it. My question is this because we should be relevant. Why can't we have relevance and presence? Why do we substitute presence or substitute atmosphere for presence? Why can't we have them both? We can. That's the answer. We can. Atmosphere is our job. God's always said atmosphere is man's job. God is saying, "Hey, keep the atmosphere good." Adam in the garden, he didn't. Atmosphere's always been man's job, and God's given us His creative ability, and we should be making atmospheres that are phenomenal. We should not only be relevant; we should be progressive. The world should say, "Man, uh, I mean, well, that, that's why." That's why Charlie Chaplin, a producer in Hollywood, would go to Amy Cimore McPherson's services. He'd get ideas from her illustrated sermons on how to use in Hollywood. She was not only relevant, she was progressive. The world was learning from her. That's the way it should be. I mean, when you got the creator of the universe on the inside of us, why do we have to go to Hollywood? Why do we have to go to the world in music to learn how to be relevant? They should be coming to us. Okay, but let's not stop there, okay? So we substituted this atmosphere for presence. And then we came up with the doctrine don't worry about holiness. When you get saved, it's all taken care of. So we lumped two different aspects of holiness together in one boat. And the Bible talks about two different aspects of holiness. First one is positional holiness. Ephesians 1 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that very moment, God had already declared you holy. And you know what? You're not more holy today than the day you received Jesus. Positionally. Let me give you an example. 33 years ago Friday, I married Lisa Bevere. She became my wife. You know what? 33 years later, she's not more my wife today than she was the day I married her, positionally. And you know, 33 years from today, she will still be every bit as much as my wife as she was the day I married her. But after I got married to Lisa, there was a behavioral change that corresponded with my position. See, let me explain it to you. Before I got married to Lisa, I flirted with girls. I talk sweet to girls. I got girls' phone numbers. I asked girls out on a date. After I got married to Lisa, I stopped getting girls' phone numbers. I stopped talking sweet. I stopped calling them, getting their numbers. Now, did I separate myself from every girl that's on the planet? Oh, I can't get near her. She's a girl. No. I mean, I sat on a plane with a girl today. I have girls on our teams. There was a girl behind the counter, two girls behind the counter, at the hotel I went to tonight, okay, that that, that gave me my room keys and checked me in and took my credit card. I'm around girls all the time. It's just that I speak appropriately to them. So that behavior corresponds with my position of being Lisa's wife. Now look what Peter says. Peter says, live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. Hello. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. That's behavior. He's not talking about being in Christ and holy in Christ. He's talking about the way you live and behave. Now, how in the world are we supposed to live that way? Because you know what? I used to try to live that way, and I failed miserably. Then one day I found out grace is more than forgiveness. On. Then one day I found out grace is more than salvation, which I'm very grateful for. I found out one day grace is more than a free gift. I found out that grace empowers me to do what I couldn't do in my own ability. Amen. Grace gave me the empower to live the godly life that he had called me to live. I was like, oh my, my. I've been trying to do this in my own ability. How stupid am I? You think God gave us an incomplete package? Never. So God gives us grace so that we can live as Peter talks about. Now, now think about this again. Pursue, chase after with the intent to apprehend holiness without which no man will see the Lord. See, you know what I found out while I was writing this book? I never really realized this until I wrote the book last year presence of God is not promised to every Christian. See, I'll show you. I'll show you the words in red. If you want to argue with anybody, you can argue with Jesus. Look at this. John 14, 21. The person, these, these are red words in your Bible. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And I too will love him and show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself clear, be clearly seen by him. Pursue holiness without which no man will see the Lord. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. You ever meet a Christian that behaviorally is not changing and they've been saved for seven years and they're still behaving just about the same way as they did when they got saved? They're not in the presence of Jesus. Because the Bible says we behold him as we see him. We're changed into his image from glory to glory. This is why Paul says in the last days, times are going to be very, very difficult. People are still going to be unthankful. They're still going to be unholy. They're still going to be unforgiving. They're still going to be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They're still going to be uh, unforgiving. They're going to have a form of Christianity, but they're going to deny the power of grace that will change them from being ungodly to godly. They're going to be just like they were before they got saved. But they're going to be in the club and say, I'm a Christian. So here's the deal. What is really going to get us in trouble in these final days is not what we're saying. It's not, it's not what we're saying. It's what we're not saying. Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I did not shun to declare to you the entire counsel of God. See, can I show you scripture? Just one scripture. There's a lot, but I'll show you one. 1 Corinthians 6, look at this. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? I didn't write these words, so don't get upset at me. Don't fool yourselves. In other words, don't be deceived by substituting good in place of God's word. Don't negate God's word with your good. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, that's when you put Ohio State over above Jesus. Nothing wrong with Ohio State. I was jumping up and down in my living room like crazy when Ohio State beat Alabama last year. And then I did the same thing when they beat Oregon because I'm a Big Ten boy and I root for the Big Ten. But they're not my idol. In other words, they don't have my passion over Jesus. Okay? Good preaching, John. Amen. I'll help some of you. Or who worship idols or commit adultery or practice homosexuality. Love wins. See, I don't quite get that one. That's when you substitute good for the word of God. Or who practice homosexuality or thieves. That's a person who lies in business just so he can get a deal. Or greedy people. Oh, we could go there. Or drunkards. Or gluttons. Because drunkard and glutton both go together. Or are abusive. Or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, how come we don't talk about this? I'll tell you why. Because we've been able to come up with a good theology that soothes us. And we've replaced the word of God with good. Are you still with me? Yes. Yes. Okay, here's the way I, I see it, because i got to close it. Do I want to find this out now? Or do I want to find this out one day when I said, we cast out devils in your name? We preached. We were, we were working really hard. Lord Jesus, I preached your messages. Our, God, our God-sponsored projects had people talking. That's exactly what it says in the Message Bible. Lord Jesus. And He's going to say, I never knew you because you practice sin. You substituted your good teaching in place of my word and it led you to live a lifestyle of practicing sin. Now I didn't say people fell in sin and were crying out and saying, God forgive me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he's talking about people who are practicing sin. Hey baby, it's okay. See, let me just end it with this tonight. The goal of every one of us should be to have intimacy with God. I mean, what's Christianity without intimacy with God? Okay, can you imagine me saying to my wife, holding up that marriage certificate, hey, hey, I am legally married to you while I'm flirting with other girls. Gee, yeah, I may be legally still married to her, but do you really think she's gonna share with me the secrets, the desires, and the intentions of her heart? No way. Yeah, we can go. I'm I'm legally saved. My sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Do you really think you're going to have intimacy with Jesus? Watch this. These past seven months have been incredible, and I mean, honestly, when I saw you seven months ago, I knew I knew from that moment that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with you. You're kind beautiful, smart, I can't picture a more perfect woman. So, Emma, Lily, Thompson, will you marry me? Yes, 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 yes! yes. Yes. I have to see other guys on the side, but yes! Wait, what, what are the guys, what are you talking about? I am the perfect woman, just like you said, I'm gonna have gourmet meals for us every single night, our house is gonna be perfect. Oh, it's gonna be amazing, babe. And I mean, you don't really expect me to be one-man kind of woman anyway. Uh, no, that's actually like a a big part of marriage. Like, you and me, together. Yeah, but I can't give up every guy. I mean, that's asking a little much, don't you think? <laughs> a, a little, a little, I just asked you to marry me. If we're married, you can't see anyone else. That, that no, that, that's- Babe, wait, okay, okay shh. It's okay, listen to me, listen to me. Look at me. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. You're right, I was wrong. I totally understand where you're coming from. This is our moment. And we're gonna be so happy together. Every single day, except once a week. Well, uh, once a week, okay, Just a once a week. Did you you not listen to anything I said? Every other year? No. On a leap year? No, okay, Okay. Emma, I I, I can't, I, I can't. Once a week on a leap year, you're gonna freak out? Emma? We're done. What? Babe, you were just asking me to marry you. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Alright, here's the question. I want an answer. Would you marry somebody like that? What makes you think Jesus has come back for a bride that's just like that? If you believe Jesus has come back for a bride like that, you're as deceived as that girl. He's come back for a holy bride without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I preach what you've commanded me to preach, and I thank you for your help, Holy Spirit. Now draw men and women to Jesus. I want you to listen to me, and we're going to be out of here in just a little while, but I want to pray for you. I want you to experience the presence of God tonight. You can come to church. You can even come to a special Good or God book tour night. You can know that Jesus is the Son of God. You can know He died on the cross. You can know He was raised from the dead. You can know he was born of a virgin. Softly, softly, softly on that. And still not have a covenant relationship with God. See, John, how can you say that? Well, let me put it to you like this. I want you to listen to this. You can have a girl dating a guy. She knows he's a great, great athlete. She knows he's got a scar on his arm from a bicycle wreck he was in when he was 14 years old. She can know he's an excellent math student. She's been to his house. She's met his siblings. That doesn't give her a covenant relationship with him. It's not until one day when he gets down on his knee, like Alec did in that video, and he opens up a little ring box and he said, will you marry me? At that point, she's got a decision to make. She can ignore his proposal. She can say no. And if she does, she continues life is. She knows about him. She even knows his siblings, but she doesn't have a covenant relationship with him. Or she can say yes. And if she says yes, that means a couple months later, she's going to walk down an aisle of a church with a white dress on in front of a lot of people. And you know what she's saying? She's saying goodbye to every man on the face of the earth. Except for that guy waiting for her at the altar. She's giving him her entire heart her entire life. Well, let me tell you, when Jesus shed his blood for you at Calvary 2,000 years ago, every drop of blood for you, that was him getting down on one knee, saying, would you be my bride, the bride of Christ? Now, at this point, we have a decision to make. We can ignore his proposal and we can continue on knowing about him even coming to his house and meeting his true siblings. Or we can say yes. And if we say yes, that means that we're going to do exactly what that bride does. We're going to give him our entire heart, our entire life. You see, God knows that it's far better for you, far better to spend eternity with him than to burn in fire forever and be eaten by worms nonstop, morning, noon, night, nonstop, forever and ever. Even though God knows it's far better, he's not a tyrant. Just as that young man cannot force that girl to say yes, she has to choose. Even so, God will not force you to say yes. He leaves that choice with you. Now, this is what I want to say. Some of you sitting in here tonight, and it might be a good number of you, you say, I I know Jesus is the Son of God. I know He died on the cross. But truth be told, I have not given Him my entire heart and life. I want to give you that opportunity tonight. So with every head bowed, and every eye closed. I'm going to count to three, and when I get to three, if you say, John, he is n- I have not given him my entire heart, but I want to do it right now. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand up high with every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you ready? I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Put your hands up right now all over this building. Hands are going up really high. Put them up high. Don't be ashamed. No bride's ever been ashamed. There's probably about 40 hands up in the building right now. Just put them up high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Okay, you know, I want you to do one more thing. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. I just want you to stand right there where you're sitting. Every hand that's raised, you just stand up. Just take a stand for him. Remember what I said. No bride's ever been ashamed. Let me tell you something. Heaven is having a party right now. Heaven is rejoicing right now over your decision. Now, I'm going to say this. There, there might be one or two people that are still sitting. And this is why I still have every head bowed, every eye closed. I want that one or two people. I'm not saying that you have to say yes. Because God is not saying that. He's saying if you want eternal life, you have to say yes. But what he's saying, but he's not going to do is force you to say yes. And I'm not either. But what I do want to make sure is that you make a decision. I want to make sure that you don't walk out of here because you're not promised tomorrow if you don't have a covenant with Jesus. You are not promised tomorrow. I want to make sure nobody is missed. So I'm going to give you one one more moment here to just stand up while every head bowed, every eye is closed. Make the decision. If you make the decision then just stand up right now. I don't want anybody missed. Now this is what I want you to do. Those of you that are standing, I want you to just slip out into the aisle. You can grab the stuff you brought if you want. You don't have to. But I want you to come on down here to the front, and we want to pray with you to receive Jesus. Can you give them a hand as they come? Come on, I'm so proud of you guys. Come on down, just slip out in the aisle, and come on down. Come on, give them a hand. Come on. Everybody stand up and give them a hand. Come on. Everybody just stand up and give them a hand. Come on down here. I'm so proud of you. God bless you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I've got Jesus. I just want to give Him out. There you go. I'm so proud of you, sir. I'm so proud of you, man. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm so proud of you. Hey there. Hey there, how are you? Hey, I'm so proud of you. Hey, buddy, I'm so proud of you. Come on, come on down here. Hey, man, come on, just stand here. Hey, Why don't you just line up and face me? I want to pray with you. Come on, come on down. Hey, buddy. Hey, how are you? Come on, give him a hand. Keep. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. All right, come on close. Come on close. Hey there. Hey, did I not say hello to anybody? Did I, did I say hello to everybody? How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. This is so cool. So cool. Is there anyone else that wants to join them? It's not too late. Okay, now listen. Look up at me. It's the greatest decision you've ever made. So get rid of the sad looks on your face. <laughs> Alright? This is, this is way cool. You know, here, I, I remember my... Co- this happened with me 36 years ago. I made, made the decision to give my life to Jesus in my college fraternity at Purdue University. I was a varsity tennis t- player there, right? I went home, I told my Catholic mom, I said, Mom, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm a Christian. She said, oh, this is one of your fads. You'll quit this like you quit everything else. That's what she said to me. I said, Mom, this is real. I said, this is real. I said, just watch. And you know, a couple years later, she looked at me, and she said, you've changed. I said, I told you. Now she's in the fad, she gives my books away. (laughs) Because what is about to happen to you is real. Okay, now let me tell you what's going to happen so you don't get surprised. You're going to die right now. You will die right now. Now, you got to understand, you will still have that amazing sharp beard when you, okay, when you die. You'll still be standing and breathing. You'll still have that nice scarf around your neck. You'll still have those nice glasses on. You physically are not going to die. The real you, the spirit, is going to die. That's the slave. Okay, And when he dies she dies brand new person's going to be born in the exact image and likeness of jesus christ that's what jesus meant when he said born again and so when we pray and you give your life to jesus you know who's going to be born inside a daughter of the king of the universe do you understand a princess is about to be born in you prince is about to be born in you a princess in you a prince in you prince in you a prince in you and every one of you prince and princesses we're about to become true brothers and sisters does that not excite you so this is what i want you to do we're going to pray with you all of us all right and the bible says how do you do it i mean do you have to do a ritual no the Bible says, "With the heart, you believe; with the mouth, confessions made to salvation." We're just going to sp- pray. I mean, you—if w- you—if you didn't believe, you wouldn't be down here. So you already believe in your heart. We're going to confess His lordship over our life with our mouth. So I want your ears to hear your mouth say it. All right? Can you pray with them? Yes. Can we all pray with them? Yes. Is that all right? Yeah. You ready? Bow your heads. Let's pray. Say this with me, God in heaven. Amen. Thank you so much for sending Jesus. Forgive me for living life my way. Apart from you, my creator. But this day, October the 8th, 2015, I give my spirit, soul, and body. Everything I am, everything I have to you, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are now my Lord. You're now my King. You're now my Savior. I am now a member of your household. I'm completely brand new. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Forever, I can never be removed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do one more thing. I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to lift your hands. Now why am I asking you to lift your hands? This is just an outward sign of what you did inwardly. That's all you're doing right now. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to open up. You're closing your physical eyes, but I want you to open up the eyes of your heart. Now if you could see Jesus right now, you wouldn't see anger. You wouldn't see a disgusted look. You would see the biggest smile and the most strong and tender eyes at the same time. Because now he is so, so thrilled that you belong to him. And I want to pray that his presence would manifest in your life. So let me just pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want every hand lifted up in this audience because I, I believe the Lord's going to touch people. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you would touch them. Fill them with your Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, Master, touch them deeply now. Manifest the presence of Jesus in their lives. Right there. There he is. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Not only on these precious men and women down in front of me, but there's his presence on people all throughout this congregation. Remove the debris, remove the hurt, the pain, bring healing to souls, to hearts even right now. I command roots of bitterness and resentment to be pulled out of souls and hearts tonight. I free you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I free you to be healed. I free you to be delivered. And I pray that you'd fill them with joy. Unspeakable joy. Joy filled with power and glory. There's his presence right there. Right there. Now I want you to whisper to him. Don't say anything religious. Just speak from your heart. Even if it's just, you're, you're just awesome. Even if it's just, you're so cool. Say something to him. Whisper it out loud. There's his presence right there. Right there. Father, I release men and women from any form of bondage tonight. I command sickness and disease to be driven out of these temples and away from them. And I pray that your presence would invade their being even as I speak, Master. Fill them with your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Here's his presence right there, right there. Wow. Wow. Now let's give him praise right now. Come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Come on, thank him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, look up at me. I just want to see your hands. Be honest, not polite. How many of you could sense this presence? Put up your hand high. Every one of you. Every single one of you. You know what that was God saying? What's your name? Martina. Lindsay? Martina. Martina. You know what that was God saying? Martina, you're my girl. So you know what that means? This is what he was saying to all of you. When you walk out of here tonight and the devil goes, nothing happened to you, tell him, shut up. Will you do that? Good, Martina. You're my sis now. Amen. Can we give them a hand clap as they walk back to their seats? Go ahead and give them a clap. You guys can go back to your seats. Hey, while they they come back, welcome them. Come on, applaud them. All right. Wow. Let me ask all of you. How many of you... How many of you sense the presence of God? Let me see your hands. Wow. So wonderful. Amen. You can be seated just for a moment, and we'll be out of here in the next couple of minutes. This is the book. Everybody say the book. All right, I got the first three chapters, I think, out tonight. Um, it is $20. It's a beautiful hardback book. Amazon sells it for $16, so we're selling it for 16 tonight. But here's the deal. I've never done this before, and I felt like the Lord, I don't feel like I know He challenged me in prayer about this and I've never done this in my life before but I'm doing it now but here's the deal I don't want any human being leaving without this book tonight so here's the deal if you cannot afford the sixteen dollars now I'm saying not that you don't want to pay the 16 I'm saying like if you're a single mom and this will affect your grocery budget you just can't get it I don't want you leaving without it so here's the deal just walk back to the resource table look at my team and just say the word gift You don't have to say, I don't have the money. We'll work out a little code. You just say gift, and we will, with a smile, hand this book to you, but it's under three conditions. Condition number one, one per family. Condition number two, you have to read it from cover to cover. Condition number three, you have to give it to somebody when you're done. Okay? This is the curriculum. The curriculum has the book. I went into a church, a 17,000-member church. I walked through the book chapter by chapter. There's DVDs and CDs. It's made for individual or family or group study. All right, so this is a wonderful way to walk through the book together, discussion questions, everything, or devotional questions if you're doing it by yourself. This is $65, complete kit, all right? But I'm going to bait you. Can I bait you? I'm honest. At least I'm being honest. I am baiting you. This is $65, this is $79, $14 more. You know what you get? You get the curriculum and you get four extra books. So you get a total of five books and the curriculum components for $14 more. Why am I doing this? Because this just isn't a message. This needs to be a movement. And if it's gonna be a movement, we need help. I need you to do a group at the athletic club, at, at work, at school, in your, in your home, in your neighborhood. And if you say, John, I'm just too busy to do a group, well, guess what? For $14 more, you got four extra books now you can give to people. So do it that way. But this is a way that we can spread the word of God so we can get America positioned for the great move of God that's about to come. So I will be back at the book table afterwards, and I will I'll be in a place out there. I'll sign books, but here is the deal. When we first started doing this book tour, the the signing took an hour and a half. And I realized people at the very end of the line, some of them have driven two hours. So we're not going to do this really slow. What I want to do is see you shake your hand, smile, sign the book. If you want a picture, you have to take the picture while I'm signing the book. So in other words, I'm not going to wait longer after I'm done signing for the picture because what that does is the person at the end of the line gets worn out. And so I would love to do that. It's just the best way I know how to do it to to take care of everybody, okay? Is that fine? So I'd love to sign your book and my team will be back there to help you. Remember, you do not have to leave without a book. So remember, all you have to do is walk up and just say gift. It's our privilege and honor to be able to seed that into you. Pastor's gonna receive an offering. This offering is for Messenger International. It is not for me personally. Messenger International, listen carefully, has three three different branches teach reach and rescue you've experienced teach tonight reach is our efforts to resource pastors in nations that cannot afford books so in the last four and a half years we have put in the hands of pastors and leaders in 59 nations 6.5 million resources okay and i just got back from cambodia it was the largest conference the nation's history, largest Christian conference, over f- or 5,000 predominantly leaders, pastors, and emergent leaders came. It was amazing, okay? And it, it, a lot of it is because we have put 60, 80,000 resources into Cambodia pastor's hands. We've done this all over the world. You'll see it on the video. The final one is human sex trafficking. We have been able so far to get 617 girls out of sex trafficking okay and so this is what you're sewing into along with the book tour so watch this and thank you very much for your gifts pastor will be the next voice you hear and i'll see you at the back to sign your books god bless you thank you for listening to the bc podcast follow us at a city connected on twitter and instagram to stay updated inspired and encouraged